Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with you. My name is Dean, and I, again, I'm just so delighted to be here. I I said this before last week, I've just got to say it again. Thank you so much for your incredible patience with us in this kind of turbulent transition time. My wife and oldest son are still not here, so over half of my brain and all of my heart is not here. I just want you to know, so... But you guys have been so incredible with the way that you've given us time and patience to kind of get ready with things. We've got people that have just served us in every possible way, and I'm so, so grateful. Uh, by the way, if you're visiting here with us, I can't say this for very long, you know, in a year or so, you'll, you'll be able to say, when, when I strongly encourage you, dive in. This is a great church. I know a year from now you'll say, well, you know, you work here. You're supposed to say that. Look, we, we moved 11 hours to be here with this church, so I think with some credibility we can say this is a phenomenal place. So come, if you're a visitor, come join us, and we'll be new together. <laughs> I'll be clueless with you. Come on and join it. The, the last thing I want to say, um, I, I, uh, I plan to share this uh, about a month ago or so. I'm sitting with one of my best friends uh, in Tennessee, and I was thinking about something I wanted to say, and then, you know, our, our shepherding elders here, you guys are a ahead of my heart. What you did for Kelly, I just want to make a moment and just thank you from where I, I come from for, for all of our leadership in this church. Again, a month ago, I was sitting back home, we were just thinking about um, all that's gone on in the last two years. And I know everybody's had their transitions, but people that haven't been in kind of the trenches of it have no idea how hard it was to pivot at the beginning of COVID and all this kind of stuff. We didn't know what Zoom was. Some of you did, but most of we had no idea what this was. And all of a sudden, we have to try to find a way uh, to, to make people have the opportunity to connect in ways when they're not physically able to be here. And, and where, you know, I came from in our church back there, you know, we had a kind of a hole on our staff as well. And, and when somebody isn't in a particular role, everybody has to kind of morph and do different things. And on top of that, people are having to make, you know, don't you hate these words, COVID protocols. And we don't know what the right thing to do is. And we're trying and you can't make anybody happy and all that. So honestly, I just want to tell you from the depths of my heart, I'm coming in to a congregation here that's stable and strong and growing and vibrant. And that's because we have servants here like Kelly and others who have been serving you really well. We got an incredible ministry team, we got incredible support staff, and we got incredible shepherding elders here. And on behalf of the whole congregation, can all of us just say thank you to these people who've served us well in these last two years and beyond, please? Thank you. Because again, before I was here, I was thinking, it's, it's kind of cool to come in, and I'm new, and people are excited to welcome us, and we want to welcome you. Uh, and, you know, I've still got the new preacher smell and all that kind of stuff going on here. But here's the thing. I do not take for granted the people who have served us so that I can come into this incredible place. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, let's, uh, let's begin just by reading the text we're going to be looking at today. A story that may be familiar to many of you. It's the only glimpse that we have into the teenage, almost teenage years, the childhood, late childhood of Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. This is the gospel of our Lord, Luke 2:41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. 
Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as always do with the psalmist. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had a dream of what you wanted to do or who you wanted to be in life? Do you ever dream about like, this is what I want to do, this is a skill that I want to get, something I want to learn? Have you ever had a dream like that? You guys have probably heard me talk enough, even just the short time I'm here. You wouldn't be surprised at my dream as a little kid. I was going to be the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> then I got my sophomore year, and I stopped growing, and I'm vertically challenged. That wasn't going to happen. Even in my high school years, when I thought my, my mission in life was to be a lawyer, then I changed my dream. I was talking with Steve Smith, the judge, last week about this. A lot of folks are going to grow up. They want to be you know, powerful. They want to be president of the United States, all that. Forget that. I wanted to be chief justice of the United States Supreme Court as well. You don't have to get elected <laughs> and they can't kick you out largely and you don't have to run every four, you know, president will be there for eight years, but these folks are there forever and they make a huge impact. That was, that was my goal. That was my dream. That's what I wanted to be. I don't know what yours was when you were growing up, but there's a guy now, I want to share this vision with you. I, I share this, by the way, this story means a lot to me. Uh, and you'll see why it fits into this. I shared it um, for years when I would train our deputies. I, I had the opportunity to train new deputies in Williamson County Sheriff's Office for years, and I would tell them this story of this guy named Al Teal. Al is a, is a local pilot in Georgia, and he had a dream, and he also had a hero who modeled the dream for him. It's this guy. Maybe you've heard of him before or seen the movie with Tom Hanks. is in all the movies, right? And so this is uh, Captain Sullenberger. He goes by Sully, and we've, we've heard of him before because he's the guy who, yes, literally landed a plane on the Hudson River. <laughs> and Al Teal had a dream that he wanted to be, not just in generically, but he had a hero modeled the dream. And I came across about 10 years ago, it was after this happened, he wrote a letter that was published in the USA Today. And I want to share that with you. He said, I'm about to start flight school. And in a few months, I'll be a pilot free to fly a very limited number of aircraft all over the United States. So I was inspired by what happened in the Hudson River, less than a couple of miles from where the Twin Towers once stood in New York City. When a jet with 155 people on board ditched into the Hudson, the pilot managed to keep the nose up and the wingtips out of the water until it was floating with the current. That pilot is a hero with few equals. He was the last person to leave the airliner after making two passes through to make sure no one else was on board. 
Now listen to this language. I want to learn to fly like Chelsea Sullenberger. And I would like to think that I would do what he did when duty called. Just take that in and put it in terms of your vision or your dream. I want to learn to fly like Sully. Who is it for you that is the picture of your dream? We will come back to this in future weeks. I really, it helps if you actually think about this. Who is it that models the dream for you? I'll give you a few examples from our family, but it's only really to give you time to think about yours. Top left corner is a man named James Galway. Our daughter is a flutist. She uh, was a music major and undergraduate, which means she can't make a living yet. She's got to work 12 jobs and make coffee and do all that stuff, and she will go to grad school. But her dream, if you talk to her, I, she would say, I want to play the flute like James Galway. He's one of the best flute players in the world. With the lower left corner, my son, youngest son introduced me to this. You might talk to him. He would have a lot of different dreams, but he might say, I want to learn how to work on a bike, repair a bike, build a bike, and ride a bike like Seth Alvo, who, uh, who has uh, a YouTube site called Biker Hack, right? And so he's going to teach how to build this thing. That might be his dream to do that. The upper right corner is our older son. If you asked him, what he would want to be or who models it for him. It, early on, it was, I want to run the football like Emmett Smith. <laughs> and he had his 22 jersey and all that. And if he were honest, he would probably still say something like that. But this is something he introduced me to not long ago. He wants to be a photographer, and he wants to be a photographer like Robert McKinnon. Maybe some of you have heard of this guy. It's one of his most famous shots that he took. Uh, it, it, it's called the bucket shot because it was his bucket list to go to this remote place and everything, the weather has to be perfect to get a shot like that. And he waited for, I don't know what it was, Luke, a day and a half or something to be able to get it and the weather broke at just the right time and he got that picture. What is it for you? Who is it that models the dream? I want to do this or that like somebody else. And as we're going into this series, here's what I really want to think about. What if we took that question a little bit deeper? What if it weren't just a skill or a career that we wanted to learn? Is there somebody in your life that, man, I want to live like this person. Do you have somebody in your life like that? I, I want to wake up and show up as this kind of a person. I, I think for me, if one of my dearest friends, Phil, you'll hear a lot about him, a mentor and a friend of mine. Oh, he's not perfect. I'll be the first one to tell you that. But you've ever met a person that when they just show up in the room, Everything's better. Like it's more joyful. He's playful. He brings peace in that place. You know people like that? Or think of my friend Keevan, who's been either a coach or a minister most of his life. And he embodies encouragement and quiet strength as a man. I look up to him so much. My friend Keith, who on a regular basis will go in to the places where other people forget. 20 hours a week when COVID isn't like blowing up. He's in the jails, and he's meeting with inmates, or he's in halfway houses meeting with people that are coming out of that because he wants to walk with them. And yeah, I've only been here a week and a half, but I already got somebody here that I want to live like. I want to be like Dan Warden when I grow up. I mean it, man. He changed my life this week. We were frazzled and crazy and all the stuff's going on. And I'm just telling you, as a father, one of the things I really wanted was to get get my son in school as early as possible and it just wasn't happening. We kept getting pushed back and then finally we get to go uh, on, on Tuesday and I'm like, okay, we're going to get him in. Everything worked out. Everything was great, but 
The nurse said, hold on, we don't have the immunization form that was supposed to come, and we've got to match and see whether what you got is consistent with Texas. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And to take my son home from school when I wanted him to start school, it was just killing me. And Dan walked in, and I told him what was going on. He put his arms on my shoulders, and he prayed for me. He prayed for our family. And in that prayer, he, he even prayed specifically. He said, God, can you take care of this immunization thing, even if you've got to waive the requirements and all that? I kid you not. When he said amen, my wife called and said, I went down to our doctor. I got the form. And would you believe it? All the shots we got in Tennessee are the ones that are required in Texas, and we had them in by fourth period. Isn't that awesome? Now, listen, I praise God for that. I want to be... The kind of person who shows up like a Dan Warden who serves and loves in that way. So here's the question I want to be thinking about over the course of the next couple of weeks. How do you become someone like that? Whatever your dream is and all that, how did those people become what they became? So I'm calling this series CrossFit, stealing it from the place that, you know, workouts, good, good friends of mine that started a place up there. I love their little uh, tagline. Their line is they're forging an elite fitness, but we're going to aim bigger. In this series, we're trying to let God forge elite lives. We want to live with purpose and meaning and impact in our lives. One of the things I love, so many things I love about this church, when it came down here the first time and I got introduced to your mission statement, simple, beautiful, right? To let God help us find hope and listen to this, live with purpose. And I decided back then, whatever the first series I was going to do, I want to preach into that mission statement that you guys have had for a while. Can we ask God to help us forge lives of purpose and meaning that will leave an impact long before, long after we're gone? I don't want to mark time here, do you? I want to make a difference. I love the way Stephen Jobs put it. He said, I, I just want to make a dent in the universe. <laughs> Pull out your phones. He did, right? I want to do that with our lives and our spiritual lives. And I believe this simple, in fact, deceptively simple childhood story of Jesus might help us grow into the lives that we want to live. So let's just look at that. First of all, before we get deep into the text, I just want to kind of my first observation of this. I love this. Jesus doesn't stay put. Have you noticed that about him? <laughs> Not just here in this story, but throughout the gospel story. He never seems to stay put. Uh, in just a few chapters, he'll do miracles in a particular town, and they say, hey, stay here. Stay here. You can grow your ministry. And, grow. and Jesus says, no, I must go to the other towns and preach the gospel there too, right? Or sometimes it's not a physical stay put. It's maybe kind of more of ideas or doctrines or teachings. The Pharisees tried to get Jesus to stay put too, didn't they? They said, stay here, not just in the teachings of God, but we have all these traditions and the way we've done it, that we've told people, if you're going to follow God, you've got to do it our way. And they said, stay here. And Jesus said, no, I must go outside of your boundaries and your rules to reach people you're not reaching and to help people get back to the heart of God. He wouldn't stay put there. Of course, you know, the best one is they killed him <laughs> and they stuck him in a tomb and he wouldn't stay put. <laughs> He goes out and he tells the story and he reveals the glory of God to the world. And here he is in this story. He's 12 years old. And they do their ritual. They do their custom. Every year was customary, if you could, to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they did that. And when he leaves, don't think home alone, you know, neglectful parents and they forget him. I mean, they're in a huge company of people. They've got 
relatives and distant relatives and friends, they travel in a pack for safety. And so they think Jesus is with Aunt Bessie or something like that. And all of a sudden, a day into the journey, he's not there. Why? Because Jesus, even at 12 years old, doesn't stay put. He tells them, I have to move into my father's house and into my father's passion, my father's purpose. And they didn't understand it. Well, dad's right here. No, no, no. I'm talking about a different father. Jesus doesn't stay put. I was just thinking for this opening observation, it kind of fits where we talked about last week. Can we just use this as a great reminder for us as we go into a new year? Can we think about it? Listen, Jesus is not just a little thing that we stick in our backpack and then go on with our lives. We don't just come on a Sunday morning, you get a little God, you know, hit, and, and then, okay, then it's back to our agenda and all that. Listen, if you put Jesus on your calendar, let me promise you, he won't stay put. I got a little time for Jesus on Sunday, got a little time for Wednesday, got a little time here and there. No, hold on. He may pull you into, how many times do they say this? Astounding, amazing, not comprehensible purposes of God in your day. So as we begin a new year, here's just a simple thought. Maybe we open ourselves up to the fact that Jesus might actually surprise you this year. He might surprise you this week in what he draws you into. Listen, it's not Jesus' job to come into my purpose and my mission and my plans. He's going to be moving into the direction of God, and he's going to invite us to join him there. Does that make sense? Jesus doesn't stay put, so maybe we shouldn't either. But what's going a little bit deeper in this story, I, I talked about this in a Bible class the first time we were here, but I want to, I want to say this to everybody in several stories of the Bible, this is especially true in the book of Luke. Listen for the echoes in the story. What do I mean by that? A lot of times in the New Testament, you'll be, especially in the Gospels, you'll hear a story and it will sound kind of familiar. There will be these echoes and these themes and language that sound similar to stories we've heard before in the Old Testament. And the writers are doing that intentionally. The Holy Spirit inspired that to say, understand this thing in light of what you heard over here. By the way, it's not just a good literary technique. People do it with their lives, like we're talking about. Maybe you've heard of this guy, Alexander the Great. He conquered the world in his 20s. What you might not have known is that he lived his entire life off of the echoes of the stories of the great heroes of Greeks past. In other words, he very intentionally lived his life to try to be the new Achilles. Did you ever hear of that guy in Greek history? In fact, what we're told, remember, he's a 20-year-old like, world conqueror. Maybe you had to study it and read it in school. Did you know that Alexander the Great memorized the Iliad? He memorized the story of Achilles because he wanted to live that out. When he conquered his known world, he made a pilgrimage to the place that was known to be the tomb of Achilles. He bowed down in that place and he made a sacrifice. Why? He's living his story out in the light of the other. And you can't understand Alexander without understanding Achilles. You say, why are we talking Greek stuff here? First of all, because you're smart and you can take it. Secondly, Luke does the same thing with Jesus. Hear me. Luke is telling us the Jesus story, but he's doing it with echoes of an earlier story, and we're supposed to see the two together. Did you catch it? There's an ancient prophet in Israel's history, one of the most famous prophets. His name is Samuel. 
And Luke tells you the story of both John's childhood and Jesus' childhood in light of the echoes of Samuel's story. Let me give you an example. All the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it has this description of Samuel as a young man. It says, Samuel grew in stature and favor with the Lord and with people. Does that sound familiar? Almost word for word for the way... Luke describes first John, actually, in verse 40, and then Jesus in verse 52. Also, right after that, you see Samuel kind of growing up and learning things. There's this delightful story. Have you heard it before? First Samuel chapter 3 was where Samuel, as a young man, like Jesus is in the story, he's literally living in the temple. He has made his pilgrimage, like Jesus did, to the place where God shows up. And it's, so, it's almost comical. He hears this voice, Samuel. And he goes and he wakes up his mentor, Eli, and he says, what do you want? And Eli says, dude, go to bed. I didn't call you. And he goes back to sleep. And then hears again, Samuel. And he goes and he wakes up Eli. And Eli says, go to bed. I didn't call you. And it happens a third time. And finally, Eli gets it. Hold on, that's God speaking. Now listen, this is really important. In that story, Eli has to teach Samuel how to hear the voice of God. He had to learn. And by the end of the story, it says Samuel becomes one of the most powerful prophets that the people of God had ever known. In fact, it uses this language. God didn't let one of his words fall to the ground. But all of Israel from the north to the south heard the word of the Lord through Samuel. And I say all of that, listen to me. Why are we talking about this? Because Samuel didn't start out as a brilliant prophet. He had to learn it. He didn't start out knowing how to hear the voice of God. Somebody had to teach him. Now, why are we saying this? It is so important. My big aha as I'm studying this text and thinking about this text. Listen, it's so important. Even Jesus didn't start finished. Now, hang with me here. Jesus didn't start out finished. Samuel didn't just kind of pop onto the scene and he's instantly this powerful prophet. And it's amazing. Luke wants to tell us this story in this way to remind us Jesus didn't either. I'm not saying he screwed up. Like, unlike anybody else, Jesus didn't sin. But Jesus had to grow and learn too. Why is this important? I don't know if you're like me, but I, I've read this text before and what I've done with it is I've made Jesus into Clark Kent. Right? Whatever Superman version you like, just picture that story. We all know the only difference between Clark Kent and Superman is that he's wearing glasses and a suit. By the way, worst disguise in history. I still don't know in any of the versions like, oh, this guy's Superman and I don't know who this guy is. Come on. He's like wearing glasses and a suit. He's the same dude. <laughs> but in every one of the stories, like he's 12 years old, right? And he's picking up buses and stuff, right? Because he always had the power. And he was instantly Superman. Even when he was younger. Hear me. Follow me on this. Jesus isn't Clark Kent. Or another one, I think like a year ago, they did a, a, a follow-up to 20 years ago, the Matrix movies. You remember those? One of the things I remember about that, like, so they get into this virtual world in the early ones, and, and he's got to learn how to fight. And so what do they do? They just download judo. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like instantly, no. And they got to fly off of a rooftop. And so they download how to fly a helicopter. Listen to me. Jesus isn't Neo. 
He didn't just walk, oh, okay, God, I need, like, compassion, bink, right? I need to know scripture. I, I remember um, reading one of uh, Max Licato's earlier books, Love the Way He Writes, great poet, poetic, and, and, and again, I'm not picking on this because I think he's writing poetically, but I'll never forget one of his earliest books. He had this little 25 questions I like to ask Mary. And, and again, it's poetic, it's cool, I just think it's theologically all wrong. Why? Because he says, did you ever sit down with, you know, baby Jesus and try to count the stars and succeed? Like Jesus, boop, download, oh, I know there's 20 bazillion. And here's the one, I, re- I never forget it, he said, Did Jesus ever ask you any questions about Scripture? And the implication is, oh, of course he didn't because he wrote it. No, Luke says, yeah, he did. What do you see Jesus doing when he shows up in this story? It's so astounding to me. What does he do? Two things. He's listening. I'm quoting the Bible here. And what? Asking questions. I made him out to be Clark Kent picking up the bus when he's 12. No, Jesus, it does say they were amazed at his answers, but he shows up in the middle of teachers listening and asking questions. Do you hear me? Jesus had to learn it. A couple verses that show this. One is our text itself. Put up the verses there if you would for me. Don't rush past this. Again, it's quoting the Samuel story too, but it says Jesus grew in wisdom. What does that tell you? He didn't have all the wisdom that he was going to have at the end of his earthly life when he started. He had to grow in it. That doesn't mean he was imperfect or sinful. It means he submitted to the journey just like we go through it, right? Or the one that's really breathtaking. Read read the whole section of Hebrews 5 over there. I'll just point out the part that just grabs me. Like, this is the Son of God. What does it say? Son, though he was, he learned obedience, You know what the Bible just told us? Jesus didn't know how to obey until he submitted to the work of God and the people in his life to learn it. Now, by the way, unlike anybody else in history, he learned it perfectly and he didn't sin. But just for a moment, can you take this in? Jesus learned how to do this. Kelly, you did a great series right before this. On one section of the Bible, right, in in Philippians, there's a really important verse there. Here's Here's what I've done so often. I'm so excited about Jesus being fully God, I don't let him be fully human. And what does it say in Philippians 2? What'd you teach us, right? Even though he's the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, better translation, exploited. He emptied himself. He said, I'm gonna play by the rules of the human game. I'm not going to have the God credit card and anytime I need to get out of a situation, I'll just do it. No, he was fully human and part of what he did in the incarnation, isn't this amazing, is he modeled for us not just how to live, but how to learn. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to submit to this. I'm going to learn obedience even through his suffering. So I say all this, say this, here's what's so powerful to me. Jesus isn't just master and Lord and teacher. He is all of those things. Do you know what else Jesus is? He is the model student. The students here are not just the folks on either side of me. Jesus said, before I'm teacher, before I'm master, savior, and king, I'm first going to be a student and I'm going to show you what it looks like to learn. Isn't that breathtaking? Why is this so important to me? Listen, 
This is good news. I was talking with a, a new friend of mine here just this week, and I'm reminded we can use words like discipleship, or spiritual formation, following Jesus and all that. We're going to talk about that a lot. But here's the thing. If you're like me, sometimes you hear that as, oh, here's one more thing i got to do and feel guilty about not doing well. Can we just be real honest here? It's fun, and everybody looks pretty when you come in here, but isn't it hard sometimes to sit in church and, and you can't help thinking that everybody else has got it going on better than you do? Do you ever do that? Learn from my friends in the recovery community. Here's a great line. We compare our insides with other people's outsides. Isn't that good? And we think everybody else has got going on. Listen, have you ever felt like a failure? Have you ever felt like you don't belong? Have you ever kind of tried the Christian thing and it just doesn't work? Here's what Jesus says. This is powerfully good news. It's okay to have to learn this. It's okay to, to not know how to hear the voice of God. It's okay to not know every scripture right off the bat. It's okay to learn it, no matter what your age is. Jesus said, we all come here as students. And the powerful gift is Jesus says, I'll be with you on the journey. And we get to learn this thing together. And one of the great promises, you know, we'll, we'll look at this in, in future weeks, just this beautiful verse in Luke 6, verse 40. But, but just hear this promise. The promise of Jesus, he said, I can train you to live my way of life. I can actually train you to do that. I will show you how to do this. It takes so much pressure off. You used to think, oh, I got to do this and that and that. No, no, hold on. I get invited by Jesus to train into the life that I want to live anyway. I remember learned really early on, I was coaching. You know, you hear me telling my coaching stories. I love coaching young people and I was coaching football. And uh, one of my... One of my favorite young players, man, he was, he was the best receiver I ever had, just natural hands. I mean, he's like eight or nine years old. I mean, we started early. And uh, his name's Noah. And, and we were practicing one time, and he just, he was a perfectionist, I guess. And so he dropped one ball, and he's just upset. He's crying. All. We started something then. It was every time. We, we just learned a little thing. I said, there's two things I want you to know. First of all, this is why we call it practice. <laughs> like, I expect you to drop the ball in practice. In fact, I'm going to put you in situations that are going to be hopefully even harder than the game. So it's, you know, we practice it here and you can fail here all you want. Uh, we're going to talk about this a lot. I love, we talk about spiritual disciplines, fine. I like practices. We're practicing it. Jesus has practiced my way of life. The other thing I would say to know all the time, I said, look, we're, we're, going, to, um, we're going to work this out in advance. I said, this is almost a mantra and we would say it throughout the year. I said, I want to promise you something and I want to hear something back from you. I said, look, I will, I will never give up on you. I don't care if you drop the ball 100 times, not just in practice in the game. I will never give up on you. Here's all I I don't ask you to catch a touchdown pass. I don't ask you to do anything. I ask you to do one thing. Don't give up on me. And we were in, we were in a uh, playoff game one time. He dropped the ball, and I could see him just getting upset. And I said, come over. I said, I'm not going to give up on you. What? And he said, I won't give up on you. Hear me. You come in here. This is hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's, okay. it's easy to play church. I'm not talking about that. It's hard to follow Jesus. But let me tell you, he will not give up on you. If you're new here, I know the people here well enough to know. We're not going to give up on, on him either, Kelly, are we? Elders, we're not going to give up on him. Don't give up on us. We don't ask you to be perfect. Just try. Just come on and let's learn together. That's the gift of God. That's grace of God. We get to be students. We don't have to be the master. So I want to go back as we end to where we started. I'd love to talk to Al Teal one time. What do you say? I, I want to learn to fly like Sully. I'd say, do you really? 
Do you really want to learn to fly like Sully? Because here's a question I want to ask you. How did Sully land that plane? Think about this. We've seen it. We've seen the movie, maybe. How did he land that plane? I jotted some things down. Let me just share this with you. His sister tells us that when he was a little boy, he used to make model airplanes, and he would sit around and just for hours hear his father tell Navy stories about airplanes and about his flights in the war. He got his pilot's license, you ready for this? 14 years old. And in high school, when other folks in high school were, you know, going to proms and going to football games, nothing wrong with those kind of things, you know what he was doing? He would go out to the Air Force Base and he would watch planes take off and land. That's what he did for fun in high school. <laughs> he spent seven years flying F-4s in the Air Force and another 27 years as a commercial pilot. Uh, this is good. Can you imagine this might be helpful for what he ended up doing? He trained as a glider pilot. Yeah, that may be coming to handy that he learned how to fly a plane without an engine. He even studied the psychology of keeping a crew together in the midst of a crisis. He was an accident investigator, so he knew what made planes wreck and pilots screw up. Over his career, he's logged over 19,000 hours in the air and countless more of those in a simulator. So here's the question I ask you. How did Sully land that plane? He landed it because he trained for that moment every day of his life. When I look at Jesus, and it seems so far away, and it is, I will never be like him completely. But I long to be like, have you ever asked this question? How did Jesus live the extraordinary life he lived? How did he do it? Listen, he trained for it every day of his life. That's what I want us to do over the course of the next several weeks. Can we say, Jesus, would you just show us your training plan so that my life will be extraordinary in your eyes only by your power and your ability? Can we train together to live a life that all of us have always dreamed? That's what we want to do anyway. Father God, we praise you for the grace, not just of forgiving us and accepting us, but inviting us to practice and to learn with you, and to not know everything, and to not have everything together. Thank you for inviting us on a journey where you never give up on us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we hold on to you. In these coming weeks, would you train us more to look more like Jesus, to grow in our understanding and experience and love and representation of you in this world. And we pray this all in the glory of Jesus. Amen.